I didn't really know how they were in the movie at that point. I was like, psychos. Oh, oh this is insensitive. <laughs> like, we should not be having sex. One, no one should be having sex in the woods. And two, no one should be having sex in the woods. Like, right next to a cult where everyone died in a, like, raging fire. Welcome to All My Friends Are English Majors, the podcast where I, a business major, make my friends, almost all English majors, read popular fiction with me. This month, it's a new month, which is so exciting. We're doing Old Flame Month um, with my friend Emma from college. Emma and I went to Truman together. Emma, are you an English major? No, I'm not. I'm really, like, underselling the whole the whole <laughs> point of this podcast. By I've had one English major so far. But don't worry, we're going to have a zinger of a summer where it's, like, three English majors in a row. The issue with English majors is they're all teachers. So all of them were like, well, what if I get to do the summer? Emma, what what major are you? I was a comm major, which is like kind of the same thing. Sometimes I'm like, oh, it's like the STEM version of English, whatever that means. Like sometimes we read Plato. <laughs> um, so you're you're like analyzing what people mean. When they say things, which I feel like is pretty similar to, like, analyzing literature. Like, adjacent, at least. Yeah, I would say it's definitely... I mean, it's more adjacent than Sam being computer engineering. Definitely, definitely. What other credentials do you have? Um, so I have some experience with circling back to old flames. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love to do that in my past, so I have some field experience in that. So I feel like I can bring some knowledge to this book. Although I will say these old flame books are not like dating an ex-boyfriend again. They're really like, okay, we were besties in childhood or we met in college and were inseparable. Or in the case of this book, we met in college and detested each other, but now we're neighbors by some weird coincidence. So like these ones are not really... Oh, although the author of this book is writing a new Old Flame book about, um, which I just put on hold at the library, about a couple that broke up but didn't tell any of their friends, even though it was like seven months ago. They've just been lying about it the whole time. And now they're doing a huge friend vacation where they're going to pretend to date for the week. (laughs) Wait, that's crazy. Wait, uh, it's an Emily Henry book? It is an Emily Henry book. Okay, that's interesting to me, because I liked her as an author, because I, okay, I'll be honest, I don't really read, like, romance books, I'm kind of a TikTok book hater a little bit, like, they'll be like, this is the best book ever, it changed my life, like, and then it's the worst thing I've ever read, but I'm, I don't know, maybe it's just, like, a Colleen Hoover thing, like, I was really burned by that. (laughs) I will, I said I would not read Colleen Hoover for the pod, but I have been convinced so I'm reading Colleen Hoover mm-hmm. in August, and I think it's going to hurt. I think it's going to be bad. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> I've heard there's just, like, I'm a so lot sorry. of rape, but people are like, it's Jesus. okay. Like, we have to know yeah, she I'm has trauma. Yeah, I'm glad that's not my month. <laughs> but, like, Lydia and I talked about that in um, Dystopia Month, where we were like, you don't have to put graphic rape in your books. Like, women know. 
Like, and if mm-hmm. you're writing books for women, you you don't have to add graphic graphic rape. You can just tell people sexual assault happened and they're like sick. Well, not really sick, but like we know. <laughs> And that's not, like, you don't have to use that to evoke emotion. Like, you can use other things that will hit just the same or perhaps better. Like, if I read rape in a book, it's like, oh, I don't, I'm not having fun. (laughs) And you are having fun in this book. This book is fun. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. It kind of made me excited for the rest of the week because I don't know. I'm kind of in a, well, I've been in more of a reading rep since I've graduated college. I just, like, don't really feel like it. But the typical book I read is, like, Otessa Moshfe. Like, the protagonist is, like, a bad person. <laughs> oh. um, or, like, a, like I like a fleabag vibe. So a very, like, sincere, straightforward romance, like, TikTok romance. Or not TikTok. Like, rom-com book. That's not usually my cup of tea. But this was good. Like, I really enjoyed this. Oh, I'm excited to hear that because every time we got on the pod last month, I was like, okay, Sam, thank you for being brave. Like, I'm (laughs) I'm glad you agreed to read this. Do you want to give us? Oh, I guess we haven't said what we're reading. This week we read, we read Beach Read by Emily Henry. Um, oh, Emma, I forgot we start by reading the back of the book, which I didn't put in. Oh, but we read the back of the book. Um, so that we can critique whether or not it's really, like, underselling or overselling and be like, hmm, this seems disingenuous. Okay. Um, I'm gonna grab my book. Okay. One second. Well, I can read it out loud, too. I just pulled it up on Libby. All right. Let's go. Okay. From the number one New York Times bestselling author of People We Meet on Vacation, next week's book, and Book Lovers. A romance writer who no longer believes in love and a literary writer stuck in a rut engage in a summer-long challenge that may just upend everything they believe about happily ever afters. Augustus Everett is an acclaimed author of literary fiction. January Andrews writes best-selling romance. When she pens a happily ever after, he kills off his entire cast. They're polar opposites. In fact, the only thing they have in common is that for the next three months, they're living in neighboring beach houses, broke, and bogged down with writer's block. Until, one hazy evening, one thing leads to another and they strike a deal designed to force them out of their creative ruts. Augustus will spend the summer writing something happy, and January will pen the next great American novel. She'll take him on field trips worthy of any rom-com montage, and he'll take her to to interview surviving members of a backwoods death cult. Obviously. Everyone will finish a book and no one will fall in love. Really. Hmm. I kind of like that. Because some of the some of the other rom-com books are kind of like a Netflix trailer on the back of the book. Yes. Where they're like, let I me tell you everything. That. Whereas this one, like, they don't tell you why January is in town. They don't tell you that Augustus and January know each other from college, that they, like, were together like, in classes in college. Like, you Mm -hmm. go in thinking it's going to be fun and cute, and you, like, get, I think, like, actual emotional depth out of this book, which I think is cool. I agree with that. Yeah, I feel like they don't give up, like, the, um, like, they don't tell you about the emotional side of the book. Like, something big that they talk about is grief and, like, 
trusting your family members and stuff and how that leads to like trusting yourself in a way. And they kind of like don't insinuate that at all on the back, which was a fun surprise because I went in thinking like, okay, this is going to be silly. And it's like, oh, I kind of like got invested in this a little bit. Well, and also sometimes when you read the back of these books, especially if they're going to be a little bit porny, like the back, the back (laughs) of the book is a little bit porny where they're like, you're in for a hot, hot summer. And you're like, oh my god, like, I can't even be seen reading the back of this at a Barnes and Noble. Whereas, like, this one, they're like, is, like, lust and longing and sex, but the back of the book isn't, isn't, like, insinuating that they're gonna fuck the entire thing. Yeah, which, would you call this book porny? I think that anything with smut in it is a little bit porny, but it is not, like, it is not, it is not porn with a little bit of plot sprinkled in it is like mostly plot with a little bit of porn sprinkled in yeah i agree i go ahead Mm -hmm. well okay i kind of feel like this is embarrassing to admit but i feel like it kind of left a little bit to be desired on the like porn front (laughs) um but it was unfortunate because i was reading this yesterday i was like finishing it up and i think there's only like two sex scenes in the entire book and it's such a slow burn kind of book like nothing happens like romantic or like physically until what half that half at least yeah at least half and halfway is like only a makeout sesh yeah yeah so they're like really stringing you along and i i saw alex on friday and i was like please tell me like do they have sex at all in this book like i couldn't tell (laughs) which maybe shows you how oblivious I am to these kind of books. Yeah, because I Um, read it, the first time I read it, like, as soon as she starts being like, and then I got butterflies in my stomach, but, like, in a sexier way, I was like, oh, they're gonna fuck. (laughs) Like, anytime that a woman is feeling lust all the way down to her toes, like, that is a book where they're gonna have sex. Okay, noted. I'll remember that for (laughs) next week. Well, we're reading another Emily Henry book next week, so... Yes, and I'm excited about that. Alex said that this next one isn't as good. Like, this one was really good, and then People We Meet on Vacation is just okay, too bad. So, we'll see. I... But yeah, I was reading it yesterday, and Blake looked at the page. He was, like, bored because there's no Wi-Fi at Truman. And he started reading my book, and it was one of the two sex scenes, and he was like oh, these books are just porn. And I was like, uh, yes, but no. Like, really not this long. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like... But for the most part, yes. It is possible to write a cute cartoon cover romance without having sex in it, but, like, there is a reason that this is, like, one of the most popular genres. Like, romance is one of the most popular genres for women, and it is not because women are obsessed with a, a happy ending. Well... Hmm. Yes. There, there is an innuendo to be made there. They are obsessed with a happy <laughs> ending, but like, we're not talking about like tying the end of the book up with a bow where they get married and live happily ever after there. Like, part of the reason romance is so popular is because it is sexy. Yeah. That's true. Okay, do you want to give a two-minute summary of the book before we go any more in-depth? That way people can know what we're yes. what in the world we're talking about. <laughs> sure. Okay, so this girl 
is named January and she moves back to her college town because her father died and he was having an affair um, with a woman named Sonia who also lived in that town and her mom has cancer. So there was like a lot of like family strife going on and she's like really distraught and she moves into the beach house that her dad owned and she's like, she's really broke. She needs to write this book. She's like a romance writer. She needs to write this book so she can eat and she's really stressed out and she's just like not feeling very inspired and next door is her like old college rival and he is like slightly more popular of a writer than her and that's like really harped on like even at the end of the story it's okay okay so they make this sorry they like make this bet where it's like oh i bet you can't write romance like you think it's so easy to write romance and so he has to write a romance book and then she has to write like a literary fiction book. What would you describe his genre? Like what would you compare him to? Cause I don't even read the kind of stuff that he, he writes to compare writes it to like anyone. He writes boy books. Like, yeah. He writes the kind of stuff that like intellectual men are like, Oh yeah. Like I read that and it like made me think so hard, but like, I think he's <laughs> really just by writing about like family strife and like, I don't know. It to me it seemed like the kind of thing that I would pick up and I would be like, "Oh, no, that's not for me." I feel like he doesn't he, he gives you the vibe that he doesn't read books by women, but I don't know if that's unfair. Does he say in the book like, "No, I find women's stories interesting," or is that something different that I'm thinking? He of? doesn't say in the book that he finds women's stories interesting, but he does before him in January start their little bet. Like, he kept up with her. Like, when they were college rivals, she thought they were rivals. And he was like, this girl is so smart and such a good writer. And I'm showing her that I like her by critiquing only her stories and no one else's. And, like, always asking to borrow a pen and coming into class late all the time and sitting near her. Like, I'm telling her I like her. And she was like, oh my god, he's a dick. Um, Yeah, he hates my guts. Which I think to both of them, rational. Although stupid man yeah. behavior from Augustus. <laughs> Which I think that's fair because it's like, oh, he sees her as competition or like a worthy rival or like on his level. Which does kind of erase my like, oh, he doesn't think women's lit is Well, he also read her books when they weren't connected. Like, he read her books because he wanted to read her books because he thought she was a good writer yeah whereas she was like we're enemies i'm not reading any of the stuff he publishes yeah and like her dad had a copy of his book and her book by his toilet (laughs) like he's i couldn't tell how famous he was it kind of seemed like he was a big deal and she was like kind of a struggling writer like kind of famous but not really she had like three best-selling romance books on the new york times bestseller list and not the way that like Everyone is a New York Times bestseller, but, like, I think she was legitimately on, like, best-selling novels in the U.S., not just, like, best-selling mm-hmm. romance novels. Um, But he, I think because he writes, like, literature the way that, like, men who make movies make movies and women who make movies make rom-coms. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think that that it was probably that sort of comparison. But I think, no, she was, like, popular and liked. I think it might have been a little bit 
um, like self inserty. Like all of these books are about writers. Every single, every single woman in every single romance <laughs> book writes. Like she works <laughs> for a publishing true. company, or she wants to write romance, or she writes romance, or she works at a newspaper. Like words are going on paper in a cartoon cover romance book. Which that's interesting to me. If she's doing a self insert, then why is she so insistent that she's less like? less successful than Gus every single time. Like, remember at the end, she's like, yeah, I, like, we both got our books sold in the end, and his did a little bit better than mine. It's like, girl, come on, give yourself some credit. <laughs> like, I didn't like to see that. Like, she was always a step, a slight step below mm, him. That makes sense. And popularity. But, I don't know, maybe he's, like, more established or something i don't wait know. did we finish summarizing the book did we even get to the bet i don't think so. okay we're getting in the so, way a little bit. they uh. they moved to the same town um january for bad reasons gus because his aunt moves there they both have a lot of trauma that has recently come through in the last couple of years they make this bet she takes him on cute little dates he makes her hike in the woods to go talk to people who like were attached to this death cult that happened in the time because she's supposed to learn about the reality of life and he's supposed to learn that happy endings can exist. Turns out they fall in love and then they panic a little and then there's a little miscommunication and then the miscommunication ends and they both get their book published and then they get married. They get engaged a year later and that's how the book ends. Yeah, it's sweet. It And it's like believable too. Like, they seem like real people to me. I think part of the reason that... Besides their names. Besides their names. January and Augustus. <laughs> Those are not real people. They're not real people. Like, that's stupid. And, yeah, and I couldn't picture her as anyone else besides January. Okay, Jones, I was having just the same like, problem. <laughs> <laughs> and Augustus, I just, like... I don't, do you feel like they describe the characters at all? Like, I kind of, the dude was just kind of, like, like a figure. Like, I couldn't really see his face. Like, did she really describe oh, how they looked at him? I think that Augustus looks like the guy who got killed in episode one of The Flight Attendant. <laughs> what? Wait, is that a show I'm supposed to have um, seen? It was really popular on HBO Max, like, <laughs> two years ago. But you should look up, um, okay. here, wait, I'll look up his name and I'll drop it in the Discord. Um... I feel like every episode you pull out a niche show, uh, like the, the Eyes on Me show. My is not niche. <laughs> Are you serious? It is not niche. Um, okay, his name is... Mm, I think it's the Russian version of... Mm, oh, he's Dutch. Michael Huizman. It's M-I-C-H-I-E-L-H-U-I-S-M-A-N. Wait, spell that again. M I C M I C H I E L H U I S M A N. Oh, I see. I think this is what Gus looks oh. like. Oh, I don't think he's cute. You know who I think Gus looks like? Okay, Stephen Malkmus. Who? Stephen Malkmus. S T E P H E N M A L K M U S. Oh, Annie. Sorry. Emma, I, I did tell you I worked 11 and a half hours today. Um, this man is uglier than the man I just sent you a picture of. <laughs> no way. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. But yes, the names are corny as hell. Like, deeply corny. 
I kind of felt like I understood what I got Augustus, even if I didn't know what he looked like, I knew what his, I knew how he moved physically. Like, she describes his physicality mm-hmm. a lot. Um, but yeah, January could look like any white woman. Any white woman. And I yeah. would believe her. Which, I guess it's good that she, it's good that she didn't make January have, like, a major body complex. Like, yes. huge dub. Yeah, like, no eating disorder, no, like, con- self-conscious thoughts or anything. And she she was very, like, unapologetic about the way she dressed, which that's what I want to talk about. Like, I did not understand the way she dressed. She would just throw on, like, a weird t-shirt and jean shorts or, like, her give-up pants. And... Uh, I think that made it hard for me to, like, get in the romance mood. Like, I don't feel like she ever looked that good I, in the book. So, I think that, like, it is possible to look good and be casual. And I think that Emily Han- Henry was saying it is not possible to look good and be casual. But, like, <laughs> I, by the time you are 30 years old, which we also have to talk about the fact that everyone in this book is a grown-up and there's, like, no major pal- mm-hmm. power imbalances, which kind of bangs. But, like... Like, by the time you're 30, I promise you, Emma, when I turn 30, I will still own at least 50% of what is currently in my closet. And at least, like, 5% of that will be, like, t-shirts I've owned since I was, like, 14. You know? Like, your wardrobe builds over time. So she is literally just like, oh, yeah, like, I'm wearing the clothes I own. And for some reason, Emily Henry is like, yeah, and she looks like a slob. (laughs) yeah and she's disgusting (laughs) but i don't know maybe it's like accentuating that she's like a stressed out writer at home which did appeal to me like i think the draw of this book for me was like the coziness it's like okay you live right next door to your boyfriend or your crush or whatever and you get to work from home like you can be in your pajamas all day and type as many words as you want and then you can go and hang out with him or like be on the porch and honestly i was thinking about this because i just spent the weekend with my boyfriend and i'm so poop shy (laughs) and (laughs) that's like stressful and so living right next to your boyfriend and being able to like sort that out very easily like that is very appealing to me that is so funny emma but yeah that makes sense (laughs) oh my gosh um I will also say Augustus goes by Gus exclusively in the book, and that, to me, makes the na- the fact that his name is Augustus a lot less harmful to me. Like, if we had called him Augustus <laughs> the entire time, I would have been like, oh my god, one, this is the guy from The Fault in Our Stars, and two, like, mm-hmm. anyone who is named Augustus and goes by Augustus, like, has a complex. Definitely. Definitely. He would have been on thin ice the entire book if he was going exclusively by Augustus. Like, when people call you by shortened form of forms of your name, well, you're an Emma and I'm an Emily, and I feel kind of jarred when people call me M. Like, I'm fine with it. Oh, I it's hate it. It's very weird to me. I'll respond. But, like, I don't know. Like, it happens so rarely that I'm just like, whatever. Like, but if if I, oh god, if my name was like my sister's name is Elizabeth. If my name was Elizabeth and someone tried to call me, like, Beth, and I was like, um, actually, it's Elizabeth. Like, that would kind of be, to me, like, inappropriate behavior. To correct them? 
I don't know, not to correct them, but just to be, like, completely unwilling to have, like, any shortened form of your name. Like. Yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah, because that's such a long one. And so formal. Well, and also, Augustus is the name of, like, a Roman emperor. Like, you're so obsessed with sounding yeah. like a Roman emperor. Like, <laughs> shut up. Yeah, it has the weight of history. Like, I can't just drop that on a regular day. Yeah. No. Yeah, I agree with you. In January, like, okay, and I feel like they were really trying to make it a thing. It's like, oh, January is typically the worst month, but because she's so lovely, she makes it wonderful. She makes it the best month. And they, it just didn't work for Well, me. and, like, her dad, okay, should we get into her dad? Yeah. Okay, so her dad died before this book started, right? And he, like... Her mother and him had a small separation when she was, like, a teenager, and then they got back together, and January found out after his death that during the separation and then after her mother's second cancer diagnosis, he was, like, back with the woman he had originally gotten with during the separation. Sonia was his, like, first girlfriend when he was in high school, and when he goes back to this town where he kind of runs to when his mother her mother and him separate like he ends up back with her and it like really throws january's whole life upside down because she's like this man who i loved and trusted and cared for me and taught me everything i know about like ethicality and being a human like betrayed the other person i love most in the world like over and over and over again so like that's kind of what we're starting this book with mhm why were we going to talk about her dad Oh, he was obsessed with talking about January being the best month of the year and, like, singing songs about January and everything like that. And it's just, like, January's a bad name. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why you don't meet a lot of Januaries. (laughs) I have been thinking a lot about how I hate that The Handmaid's Tale has ruined being able to name people June, though. Because, like, June is a cute name. It is a cute name. I don't know. I didn't feel that way. I've only read half of The Handmaid's Tale, and <laughs> I, like, have never thought about it. the name being ruined. Excellent. So maybe okay. it's okay. <laughs> Thank God. Okay, so I know a complaint that you had about the book was that um, she is going into her backstory a lot. Do you want to speak on that? Yeah, I feel like she's very repetitive about... Okay, my dad died, and she er, he was cheating on my mom, and my mom has cancer. And, like, for the first, I feel like, a hundred pages, she, like, talks a little bit about her life, like, her day-to-day life, and then she goes back and is like, oh, and my dad died, remember? And then re-explains it, and I, I kind of felt offended as a reader because I felt like the author was, like, going back to explain it to us again so we didn't forget and, like, kind of hammer it in. And it's like, I think... I wanted to be trusted with those kind of details more. Like, I didn't feel like I was being treated as, like, an intelligent reader at the beginning. But I feel like that kind of went away as it picked up. I think she was just trying to, like, really emphasize that this impacted her profoundly. Like, she can't get over it. Like, everything reminds her of the betrayal. But at first, it's like, come on, girl. (laughs) We get it. I do think that I I have never had a close family member die. I don't know if you have. But um, I, like, empathize with the concept of, like, 
Well, I mean, both of us have had breakups. Like, I kind of empathize. So to, like, a smaller point, like, every time that you, like, pull a sweatshirt that you got from him out of your closet or, like, that sort of thing, you're kind of like, oh, shit. Like, this belonged to another person that I spent, like, so much time and emotion on. Um, But, like, this is her dad and she's living in the house he lived in another with another woman in. So, like... I kind of understand the repetitive nature of it a little bit just because, like, she is having a sweatshirt moment. Like, God, she's living there. So, like, every three minutes. Like, when she first gets there, like, every glass that she touches in the kitchen, she's like, oh, my God. Like, my dad touched this. Yeah. But I do think maybe she could have told us less because it was emotion we would have understood eventually. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think my closest experience with that, with the like sweatshirt moment thing, but like living inside of it is <laughs> I've had several, like, I'm always living in some other girl's room. Like with Bailey during the pandemic, I like lived in her room and like slept in her sheets and like all of her pictures were on the wall. And so it was like a really weird experience. Like, being in someone else's room amongst like all of their emotional things and then you're like constantly being reminded of them and obviously I don't have like a strained relationship with Bailey so it wasn't painful in that way it was just like I feel more disconnected with myself because I don't see myself in here and I feel like I can empathize with her experience in the beach house because of that because she's like I like see this other woman that he like cheated on my mom with who has cancer like it I don't know like she had her really nice like lawn furniture on the porch and she was like oh my god like I just want to sell this because it reminds me of that horrible woman and I will say I'm glad that Sonia didn't actually end up being horrible like Sonia was always going to be a horrible concept to January but like in terms of like I don't want, know if I want to say that to a point the other woman deserves to be villainized. I think it is good that we got to see, like, a well-rounded person on the other side of that. I think it is fair for, for January to be heartbroken, but I also think it is fair for Sonia to allow, to, like, hold space in her heart for the fact that she, like, loved January's father. And I think what I like about this book is that there were two women that we were kind of, like, propped up to hate, and then she like once we actually meet them and understand their perspective it's like oh okay like they're not so bad and i i like that it wasn't like woman hating like not promoting like woman hating because i think that that can happen in romance books and i think that's why i kind of have a hard time with them because sometimes it even makes me hate like the main character too and that makes me feel like a misogynist do you know yeah, what i mean yeah i also think that like this book specifically and a lot of emily henry books like, write, like, very human people, which is different. Like, no one acts like a real human in hateful coworker romances. Like, no <laughs> one acts like a real person. You're like, please, dear God, I am praying to you, make her act right, make him act right. Whereas in these, I'm like, yeah, like, that's how a person acts. And I know a lot of these are based off of fanfics. Do you think, or like the hateful coworker one, um. The love hypothesis? The first one. Yes, that was an Adam Driver, the like Raylo. Yeah, that was Raylo fanfiction. I don't think that this is fanfiction. 
Okay, do you think that it not being based off of fan fiction helps kind of, like, make the characters feel more real? Yeah, because you're not, not a trapped in, like, a specific... I also think that Old Flame is a much broader genre than the love... Than, well, than the love hypothesis or than um, hateful coworker romances. Because hateful coworker romances, you have to, like, you have to fake date. There has to be some reason for these two people to hate each other to be spending all of this time together. And, like, you can't Mm -hmm. have that. You don't get that without, like, some sort of, like, shenanigans of, like, fake dating or things like that. Whereas Old Flame, like, the only two things you need in the genre are people who knew each other at one point and perhaps loved each other. And then a time period of them apart. And then them together again through some happenstance which is like very very different and much broader you can do almost anything with that because really all you need is two people who used to know each other yeah i appreciate that i feel like i was noticing that with the hateful co-worker situation it's like oh my goodness all of these sound the same like you really can't there's there's not a lot that you can do with that after a while. And I think Sam was talking about, like, how many have you read? Like, would you read these back to back? He's like, it's kind of gets boring after yeah, we a while. Would, I would not read them back to back. I would not recommend reading four hateful coworker romances in the same span <laughs> of, like, four weeks. I, like, props to Sam for being such a trooper. Because even the, the Spanish yeah. love deception for me, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, let it end. Yeah, that was a tome, right? That was like 600 pages. It was like 500 pages on Libby. (laughs) To put it into... Oh, on Libby? Yeah, well, it was 568 pages. To put into perspective, Beach Read was 429 pages on Libby. Okay, on my physical copy, it was 361. Yeah, so like... Which I feel like, that's not bad. Spanish Love Deception had to have been like, over 450 pages. That's gratuitous. It is gratuitous. Um, <laughs> anyway, I feel like we should keep talking about Beach Read. Yes. Okay, so you said in that outline that you don't really connect to how she writes about grief. I think that perhaps that feeling you were having was because you were so annoyed that it was ad nauseum, because I think <laughs> the way that she like, writes about and talks about, like, what it's like to experience loss and the, like, the kind of, I don't know, I thought the way that she wrote about grief was accessible, and I think the way that she, like, talked about long-standing grief or, like, understanding things to be grief and things you have to grieve for, especially in Gus's case, were, was, like, very smart. I agree. Yeah, I wrote that at the very beginning, and then as it went on, I was like, oh no, like, now I understand the connection that she had to it. I think at first, okay, so I'm, like, not even, I'm not, like, the biggest fan of Joan Didion's, like, regular writing, um, but I'm a huge fan of her, like, the way that she talks about grief, and so I kind of, every time I, like, read something about grief, I, like, compare it to that, and I just didn't find this book to be like as smart about it and (laughs) but now I'm like okay it does need to be accessible and it doesn't need um but I like shouldn't be comparing Beach Read to like a 
real woman's lived experience. And I think that the way that she like continued talking about it, the better we got to know her. Um, I feel like it got like better written, I guess, or like maybe my heart softened. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if it's because like when you open a cartoon cover romance and you're not expecting it to have like a lot of at least attempted to be nuanced conversations about grief, you're kind of like, you know, when people, I feel like there's a gift somewhere of people like throwing popcorn at a screen and like yelling <laughs> kiss. Like, is this kind of how you felt about Beach Read, where you were like, um, when are you going to stop being sad about your dad being a cheater and fuck the hot guy who kind lives of. next door? I was like, come on, let's move along with it. Like, I, d- I felt like, okay, we're reiterating this, but we're not saying anything new. So let's, like, meet the guy. Let's move on with the plot. It's like, if you're going to talk about this ad nauseum, at least say something insightful. And I feel like Joan Didion is insightful about grief, and this was not teaching me anything that I didn't already know. But I do think, like, now looking back, I was being kind of pretentious about it. So... (laughs) (laughs) I also think as someone who has, like, read a lot of romance... This type of romance where there is, like, actual emotional depth to it is so much better to me than, like, a, like, really smutty book I can knock Mm -hmm. out in, like, two hours. Yeah. Like, this, like, gives you a reason to read it beyond the smut, and I, like, like, there's a lot of people who, like, buy a Kindle Unlimited romance, like, subscription where you pay like ten dollars a month and you just get like unlimited access to books and they'll just read like hundreds of like fucking mafia books where it's literally every single one of them is like a colleen hoover knockoff except it involves a mob (laughs) and the woman like gets like pulled into the mob and then like the head honcho falls in love with her but then he's like really controlling and it's like deeply sexual and like weirdly controlling and everyone is like oh my god i've read six of these this week no no you haven't no you have not you have not done that to yourself like girl just read fan fiction that's insane that's like an addiction today at lunch i was talking with my friends about how people will get like really deep into fanfic and when you print they'll like read like an a million page or a million word fanfic and then like in a week or something and when they print it out it's like six or seven harry potter books <laughs> like and people are like like consuming this like every single week like that kind of freaks me out but these are skimmable i think it's it's maybe different i don't know i don't know that much about like fanfic and stuff well, I am currently reading, like, a 450k <laughs> fanfic, but I read the first, like, 400k in, like, probably about a week, and I was hooked on it. Like, I really was, like, reading every time I went into the bathroom at work. I was, like, reading over my lunch break. Like, I was really like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. But um, it's still unfinished, and it's been, like, almost a year, so that kind of sucks. Do we want to talk about things that this book left kind of unresolved and then move into The Perfect Man in Too Many Hands? Okay. Things that I thought were not resolved. Her relationship Mm -hmm. with her mom. Um, and also, I thought that, like, her, 
like, getting over her dad being a cheater because he <laughs> wrote her some letters every year on her birthday was kind of lame. I thought both resolutions with her parents, I was like, mm, hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I feel like whenever I read the letters, I, I like, could not suspend my disbelief because her dad wrote in the same exact style that she did. So it just felt like she was like reading letters that she wrote herself. Like, girl, your dad did not write like this. It's girly. So her dad dies, and then Sonia <laughs> delivers her a letter at the, the mistress. And then she refuses to open the letter for like over a year. And then she gets to the beach house and she finds this safe in her dad's bedroom. And she's like, how could I guess the code? And she, like, guessed her parents' anniversary. And then she was like, well, it's probably his and Sonia's celebrated anniversary. She doesn't even bother checking her own, testing her own birthday, idiot. And then she reads the letter and she gets the code and then the box. The safe is full of boxes of letters and a key to a boat (laughs) that apparently her dad also owned. Which, like, I think that probably she could have just read the letters in on the floor of yeah, that bedroom. Like, I agree. So she didn't know that the dad owned the boat? Yeah, I think the boat was kind <laughs> of superfluous because, like, it definitely had to be in the will for it to belong yes. to her. Yeah. Like, you can't just have, like, a major piece of expensive property and, like, not be paying your little taxes That's on sure. it. I didn't even think about that. This was just kind of a rich flex. It's like, oh, I've got a beach house that I live in for free for my dad. And then he has this boat that I can go sit on and read my emotional letters. But also, um, something that they do not talk about in this book and is a major flaw is that there's no inheritance tax. Like, if you inherit a house, you have to pay, like, a shit ton of money on it in an inheritance tax. So, like, sometimes when people are given property by their parents, it's not a boon. Mm. Like, it's, like, more money you have to spend. I didn't know that. Do you think maybe... Neither (laughs) did Emily Henry. Is her mom paying that, then? Like, who's taking care Um, of this? I, like... I, I, like, really am confused about whether or not she, like went to a will reading or if Sonia just like gave her a key that's a good point so that's unresolved especially if she's that broke um the other thing that felt like really unfinished was her mom and her relationship blew up when she found out about the cheating and her and her mom like barely speak anymore even though they used to be super close But her mom has had cancer twice, and both times January's life was kind of upended. And then, after she reads all her dad's letters, and she's, like, sobbing on the boat, she calls her mom. And then they, there's, like, one sentence of dialogue of their phone call, and then it's kind of, like, a fade to black. Yeah. And then it's, like, they, I feel like she kind of rushes through the end of the book, and she's, like, okay, and then he broke up with his... Or he, like, finalized his divorce, and then he proposed to me, and we're in love, and da-da-da. And it's like, that was not the pace of the rest of the book. And so everything falling together right in the last three pages is kind of jarring to me. Well, and, like, if you're going to give me, like, 
truly hundreds of pages of her being sad about her dad and not really knowing what to do and, like, being confused about how he could be such a different man than she believed he was. You're going to give me one sentence said (laughs) aloud by her mother and it's going to contain the word shit weasel Mm, in it? Good point. Like, what? Okay, and we need to talk about the fact that, like, we find out that Gus has been married this entire time, like, maybe, like, 75% through the book. Do we feel like that was resolved at the end? Yes and no. I think that maybe we're supposed to have more sympathy for Sonia because of that. Because... Like, Sonia believed that January's mother and father were going to get divorced, and January takes up with Gus before she knows that he's separated from his wife, and, um, like, does not know that he's just separated. She's like, what do you mean you're not divorced yet? So, like, I think that that whole plot is supposed to potentially create, like, space in January's heart to understand, like, Sonia did not mean active harm upon her family. But also, the reason that January, like, loses her shit and they have the big miscommunication at the end of the book is because Gus's still wife comes to a book reading that he's doing And then he, like, disappears for 48 hours after he goes to talk to her. Mm -hmm. Damn, if my boyfriend's (laughs) ex-wife showed up and then he didn't talk to me for 48 hours, yeah, I'd be losing my mind. Like, she acts so Yeah, which he does that twice in the book. The first time he disappears, what what happens? They, like, had a a big interaction and then she doesn't see him for like two days. And she's very hyper-fixated on the concept that in college he had girlfriends and they had a two-week shelf life and there was something about how like they have sex once and then after that he's gone and so she was very afraid of like having that one chance and then him going and I believe they like had a romantic encounter and she was like oh no I've used up my one chance and like now he his car hasn't been in the driveway for three days or something and I I messed it up. Yeah, the miscommunication in this book is mostly, like, bad communication. Like, no one is, like, actively lying out loud to each other like they do in A Hateful Coworker. But, like, they definitely are lying by omission, especially Gus. And I think, I think that January is right that it's, like, a sense of protection from him where he's, like, oh, like, I... I have such a dark past. I don't want to put my sad self into January's beautiful, shiny life. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. fuck off, one. And two, like, like, that's the type of miscommunication that it is. It's, and also, frankly, men are bad communicators unless you tell them you need them to communicate better. Like, some men really are just like, I don't need to text back right away. Not because they're playing mind games, beca- but because they're like, I don't know why I need to. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> some of them I don't are know. I think that some of them, you really <laughs> just have to be like, I think be in my better. relationship, that's me. Like, I am, I don't text back, and my boyfriend does, so I'm like, uh, he's probably a better communicator than me. But I think that's, like, the typical di- typical experience. Yeah, when Sam and I first started dating for the second time, he wouldn't 
like text back very quickly and I started texting back fast because I was like, well, I'm trying to catch him with his phone <laughs> in his hand. Because, like, he just texted me, so I'll text right back, and he still wouldn't answer. And then I was over at his apartment one night, and I was watching his watch buzz with notifications on his wrist. And he would just, like, swipe away and not answer. And I was like, okay, we're going to have a conversation about this. Because the reason that you're not – like, I'm not saying you have to go crazy. I get that not everyone can be as good (laughs) of a texture as me. But, like – if I'm going to watch those notifications just, like, come across your wish, your wrist and you're seeing them, like, you got to respond a little faster. Like, it would, when we first started dating, it would take us, like, two hours to exchange, like, <laughs> six texts. Yeah, that sounds like me. But in my defense, I will never get a watch. I don't want to be contacted at all moments of the day. Like, I do my responses in spurts because I don't want to be around my phone all the time. I don't want to be, like, at everyone's beck and call. I'm, like, reserving my time and my space. Um, And, like, this weekend when we didn't have Wi-Fi, we were like, this is probably the closest we'll ever be to, like, living in the being in the 90s where like you couldn't be reached all the time and like you didn't have constant access to entertainment so i'm always just trying to insert that into my life a little bit so i'll like leave my phone at home but people don't like that very much that would make me nervous mostly because i'm like oh my god he's (laughs) dead fair like sam isn't answering and he didn't tell me he was going somewhere like he's dead But I think that's just because I have diagnosable anxiety. Yeah, poor Blake, honestly. I will be better. I pledge to be better. (laughs) Oh my god. Maybe he just needs to call you out. I don't know. It's fine. And we've talked about it. It, Sometimes I'll be on the phone with Will for like five hours and I won't respond. And then he's like, what's up? And it's like, oh, I've just been on the phone. Um, so there are, like, certain instances where he, like, calls me out, but for the most part, it's, like, reasonable. Like, within an hour, you can expect a response. But I do, like, with other people that are not him, I do, like, le- read it and not respond for a day or so, which is a bad habit. Don't want to see Right, right, right. I've got to play it cool. Okay, do you want to get into the perfect man? Okay, so The Perfect Man is the segment where we talk about, like, whether or not this love interest is very toxic. I think that he is, like, really not very toxic at all. Agree. I like that they're both grown-ups. Like, there's no major power imbalance. They're also, they're both, like, relatively popular authors. They, like, both own their own homes. He's not her boss. She's not his boss. Like... Generally, the only power imbalance is that Gus is a bad communicator and, like, January, January, January desperately needs to be told that he likes her and he, like, won't. Yeah. But I, I was intrigued by that because I kind of like the mystery of it. And I think maybe it's a choice you have to make of, like, either be mysterious and, like, it be interesting or like having constant good communication do you agree with that yeah I also think that like in the case of this it was good to see two people who were nervous about getting into a relationship yeah like all the books we read last month the men were literally like don't worry baby girl I'm obsessed with you and the girl was like I don't know this seems kind of weird 
Whereas, like, in this book, they're both, like, we're grown-ups, we've been hurt before, we're both struggling, like, getting into a relationship maybe isn't smart, and they really, like, toe around it for a while, and they become very good friends first, and I think that that's, like, generally a pretty healthy thing to do. Yeah, I agree, and I feel like that's what's the most natural, because when you don't really know someone, it is difficult to communicate with them, like, you can't kind of predict how they feel about things or what they're going to say um, and like what their past experiences have been. So like, as you get to know them more, you can anticipate their needs better. So it's just like a natural thing that they didn't know how to go about their relationship at first. And they didn't want to like overstep boundaries, especially because they kind of like beefed in college. So they were like skirting around it and trying to be cautious So it made, it made sense to me and it was very satisfying for it to come together. I, I really love when it's like, I've had a crush on you forever and you didn't know. Oh, that was cute. When he, she was like, you were the only person you ever critiqued in class was me. And he was like, yeah, cause I liked you and I thought your writing was worth critiquing and I didn't think anyone else's was. Like, that is, like, a classic miscommunication, but it's not, like, tropey enough for me to be like, do something new! Mm-hmm. Like, it was interesting, and it was fun. Yeah. That felt fresh to me, and it satisfied my, like, Enneagram for, like, I have to be the only person that they've ever thought about kind of thing. <laughs> Which he was, like, fully married, so that's not exactly the case here, but him being, like, so fixated on her for all of college was intriguing to me. And also, okay, their big thing is like, they were kind of enemies in college or whatever, or like in writing class, but then they keep talking about like, there was this one frat party and they both were really drunk and they like danced on each other and they never spoke of it again. And he like called, she was like, I didn't think you thought anything of it because you were like seeing this girl at the time and he was like, no, we had broken up by then. And she's like, no, I saw you guys together in the morning. And he was like, why do you think I took a phone call in the middle of the frat party? I was breaking up with her. And that did something for me. That did something for you like more than any of the porn in the book. (laughs) Like that, you were like, oh my God. Maybe, maybe I'll get into this in the too many hands segment, but I don't know. You, I think we felt differently about the sex scenes because it it did it for me I'll say I think the first time I read it it did it for me and then reading it I I think the trick to all of these books is to only ever read them one time (laughs) yeah wait you've read this twice yeah I read yeah every single one of the books we're reading this month I've already read before oh I see okay I could understand that here's Here's the problem with this podcast concept is I got off book talk when I deleted TikTok like three years ago. Oh, wow. So like all of these came out in like 2020, 2021, and I'm like on Bookstagram and I see them on there, but like it is like we're reading stuff that mostly came out a year or two ago. So I don't know what I'm going to do in a year or two when I haven't read anything from 2023. We'll see. Right. <laughs> um, I'll be on think... the same playing field as all of us. Oh my god, <laughs> that'll be good. Um, I feel like the most toxic thing about him is that he is a male author. 
Yes. And he aspires to be Salinger and Kerouac. Which, like, just saying that, I kind of seized up a little bit. So scary. <laughs> and she really is making fun of him for it, which tells me they went to a big school. <laughs> because the Truman environment, like, oh my god. I'm I'm worried that every man in the English department wanted to be Salinger or Kerouac, you know? Yes. They're like, oh my god, I have to be the most famous male author of all time. Yes. Whereas, like, women are just like, oh yeah, I think I'm going to be an English major. Whereas they're like, I'm going to write the next American novel. There's this tweet by Elizabeth Handgun, and it's like, do you want to be a writer or do you just want to be famous for being smart? And I yeah. think that the men of Truman should ask themselves that. Yeah, there's a certain sect of men at Truman who really need to ask themselves that. <laughs> and then there's a certain sect of men at Truman who are just getting by. And they're okay. They're not on thin ice. Yeah. Word. Okay. We disagree on too many hands. <laughs> So, I do think that the sex in this book is good, but, like, that is not a man who does any sort of strengthening exercises. He is not lifting her up to tables, onto tables, and fucking her against a wall. Like, I could not suspend my disbelief that they are, like, two authors having, like, extremely athletic sex. True. Are you talking about how he pinned her up against the bookshelf? Yeah. Yeah. Which, ow. I know that wasn't appealing to me. Is that the that's the first sex scene? I think yeah. the tent one was more appealing to me because I think okay, I'm like really gonna get into it. But in they like get into it, go to the cult. Okay, so the cult that they're investigating in this in this book is like a suicide cult, and they would like light their houses on fire and burn people. It was crazy. They like start with the nursery. Um, but they go to the site where that happened and they set up a tent and they have sex and like they not in view of New Eden. Yes. They don't have sex being able to see the husks of the, of the trailers. Thank God. Yeah. They're there and he like won't let her go inside the buildings with him. He's like, I've got to do my own thing. Like you should, you don't need to go in there and see that. But then they like start to hook up and they're like, or no, 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 they're like setting up the tent and she's like, I don't think it's cool to set up a tent in this environment. So they walk away from it. But like, they are in the woods because of New Eden. Like, that's what they're there for. Yeah, I, you would not catch me in the mood. No. Like. Same. But I like. So. Okay. Something. <laughs> One time at Olive Garden with Tsunami after a tournament, we were talking about the concept, like the survival concept of if you're, like, wet and freezing, if you take off your clothes and huddle for warmth, that will warm you up, like, faster than, or faster and better than keeping your clothes on. And that, thinking about that was, like, intriguing to me. And so I feel like that is, that concept is kind of inserted into this tent situation. And that's why... Oh! That's why I kind of like yes. it. And they do, like... I really hope my parents and all my family aren't listening to this. But what I liked is it's like they have the first round and then she's like, and then we did it two more times. And that's like, that's just real to me. <laughs> I 
that as a woman who's prone to chronic UTIs. Although, Emma, what? I'm coming up on a one-year... I am coming up on a one-year anniversary of not having a UTI. That's awesome. Isn't that awesome? Yes. But also, like... There is no, you, you would not have, catch me having sex in the woods because I would not have sex, not go pee, have sex two more times, probably not get out of the tent in the rain to go pee. Like, oh my god, I would have a raging UTI before we had to hike through the woods. Really? Like. Are more, are some women more prone to getting UTIs than others? Because I've never had one. Yeah, some women are more prone. Um. Also, if you get one, you're, like, more likely to get one after that because it causes a lot of, like, irritation and your bladder can't really heal because it's always getting, like, fucking filled with urine. So, like, there's no healing or anything. Um, But you can also be more prone to them. We, I can tell you more often. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, But, like, I'm so sorry. This woman has a urinary tract infection. Like, I do think the concept of, like, that many rounds is, like, they're very horny for each other, and they're, like, being given the opportunity to just, like, do all of that, which is great. (laughs) Um, I also think that, I don't know about you, I have a hard time being in the mood when I'm really cold. Yes. Like, the fact that she, like, pulls her, like, sopping wet jeans off of her body like, like, we would have to cuddle for, like, probably 10 or 15 minutes before I would be like, okay, like, we can have sex now. But, like, I'm so sorry. If I'm cold enough, my jeans feel like ice packs on my legs. And, like, I've been, like, cold and wet and, like, not in the sexy way for, like, hours at this point. Like, sex is not on my mind. Like, worrying about whether or not I have hypothermia is on my mind. I just, maybe they should have made it, like, not raining. Yeah, I don't know why she did that. And I think that I would have a hard time recovering from seeing the ashes of the nursery that was burnt down with all the babies inside it. Like, I would just want to go home after that. (laughs) I don't know how you could get in the mood. I... I didn't really know how they were in the movie at that point. I was like, Psychos. Oh, oh, this is insensitive. <laughs> like, we should not be having sex. One, no one should be having sex in the woods. And two, no one should be having sex in the woods, like, right next to a cult where everyone died in a, like, raging fire. Yeah, I kind of feel like that's almost inviting, like, demons into your life or something. <laughs> My friend was telling me that she smoked weed in a graveyard, and then the next day, her and her friends, like, like, their car rolled down the hill and, like, (gasps) landed in someone's yard, and, like, everything was fine, but it was, like, a freak accident, and the cops pulled them over. Like, all this crazy stuff was happening, and I was like, it's because you opened a portal so that demons could come in, and I think maybe that's what they did. Like, I- They let the bad juice in, for sure. yes. You will not catch me doing anything like that. You will catch me being respectful at the cult site. (laughs) (laughs) You will catch me being respectful at the cult site. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was the more ridiculous part. Like, the sex itself was not, like, was good. But everything, like, leading up to the sex, especially when they're having sex in the woods, you're like, oh, oh, (laughs) oh. 
I think that maybe, maybe this is not good. And that's the last time we hear them have sex, right? Yeah, I think they, like, well, do they have sex once they get back together for the last time? I don't know. After the Naomi interaction? Yeah. Maybe. I'm gonna do a quick flip through. I don't... Ooh, okay. Emma, did you you buy a copy of the book, or did you get it from the library? I got it from the library. And I'm glad that I did get a physical copy because I I really was not sure if there was any sex in this book and I like needed to go to bed and they kept like kind of edging you like they would have they were about to do something physical and then they stopped and the chapter would end and they'd change the subject and I was like come on so I flipped through to see if I could find anything and I only saw like he I saw the excerpt where he was like I talked to Naomi and thought maybe we would have a chance of getting back together because we're still married. And I was like, what in the world? I did not catch any other sex scenes whenever I flipped through. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that you're right about the pacing at the end being a little weird, but I think all in all, like generally the relationship timeline of this is pretty solid. Yeah, I think so. I liked their line dancing date a lot. That was cute. Like, like, this book, I still am kind of stuck on the fact that the woman is like, I don't know if he likes me, because Gus is so flirty with her. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's obsessed with her. They, They really flirt so much. It's actually, this book is really cute. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of felt, like, true to my experiences. Like, it kind of... Like, I usually don't get a crush on the main character or, like, the the love interest of a book because he doesn't feel real to me. Um, and this one, I was like, oh, I would like him in real life. Like, I would really, really like him. Because I, I like yeah. someone who's, like, interesting and intelligent um, and, like, has discernment. And that's what he is. You know, quiet. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Okay, Emma, would you... Okay, I'm starting over. (laughs) Do you think this book was good? Did it make you feel good? Did it do both? Are we going to have a both book for the first book of the month? (laughs) Wait, wait, say the options again. Made me feel good and what? Did the book make you feel good and was it good? Because those are two different things. Like, the love hypothesis, like, made me feel good, but I don't know if it's a good book. I think it's a both, honestly. Hell yeah. And I'm, like, kind of critical of books. Like, sometimes I'm, like, a little bit of a snob about books. And so this one, like, I and I, whenever I was, like, describing it to people, I was like, it's really good. Like, you should read it. So I feel like that tells you something. But, yeah, it made me feel good. It made me think, Um, like, made me more empathetic to, like, hearing about people's experiences with grief and, like, their parents dying and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's like stupid to say. But yeah, I really enjoyed no, it. No, I think it's I think it's really important to read books about grief, especially when you've never experienced it, because like it's coming for all of us. Mm-hmm. Like your grandparents are getting older, my grandparents are getting older, our parents are getting older. Like sometimes I feel like I need to read books about grief. Like sometimes I think books about grief are more self help than like 
reading books about like leadership and things like that because it's like this is something that like comes for us all yes so we might as well hear about what other people's experiences and grief were like so that we can like better care for ourselves and care for others when things that cause grief happen yes i agree with that after the um nationals in california i came home and i was just busted like i was not doing well and i i like didn't enjoy anything like i didn't enjoy any books or movies and the only thing that really like held my interest were books about grief so i read like blue nights and um year of magical thinking the joan didion ones about her husband and child dying in the same year and i read like all about love which is about grief and like losing your partner and stuff like that have you read crying in age yes 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 and so like i haven't lost a grandparent i haven't lost a parent but i feel like reading those kind of books helps me like reckon with those emotions so that whenever it comes inevitably then i will be prepared and like it'll it'll help me understand the big emotions that i'm feeling because i like I like the thing that people say where it's like, you have to be understanding with children because they're experiencing big feelings in a small body. And I think that you can still have that experience when you're an adult. Like grief is a big feeling and it's like bigger than my small body. And so it's like kind of a self care and self love thing to prepare myself for what that experience would be like. Yeah. Or at least understand, like, what it could be like. I don't think that any sort of reading on grief is going to make you prepared for the gut punch it probably is. But at least, like, you will have a comprehension of people experiencing it and people moving through it. Yeah. Which I think is probably a good thing to experience. Yeah. And especially with crying in H Mart, like, she talks about how extremely devastating it is. But then she talks a lot about how there's so much joy to be found in it. Like um, she goes back and looks at the different like times in her life where her mother showed her like profound, unconditional love. And like seeing that through the context of she's gone now, it like kind of deepens it. And that is beautiful in its own way. Yeah, that's true. Oh my God. Getting heavy talking about beach <laughs> In in the ranks of crying in H Mart, we say. <laughs> um, I also think that this book is good and made me feel good. Like, I read some vapid books last month, and it was kind of nice to, like, read a book that is, like, real people can exist in a romance book, and you can enjoy it and you can learn from it. And you don't have to, like, suffer your way through, like, 300 pages. Well, actually, no, 500 pages mm -hmm. of The Spanish Love Deception. Like, you can just, like, read something like Beach Read and enjoy it and feel like it maybe, like, wasn't a waste of your time. Yeah. Which there's nothing wrong with a book that wastes a little bit of your time. Like, I cannot tell you how much I am looking forward to, at some point, when working six days a week, when... When working 60-hour weeks ends, <laughs> like, I'm going to be able to, like, go sit on my porch for an afternoon and read a book, and it's not going to be a book for the podcast, and it's not going to be a book for school. Like, I'm just going to pick out a little book, and I'm going to sit on my porch, and I'm just going to chug through it in an afternoon while the sun, like, makes me warm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, like, books don't have to do anything for you, but they, I think, should not be a waste of your time. Right. And I'm kind of worried that we started off with the best one. I actually don't know anything about the love and other, what is it called? Love and other foreign languages? Love and other words. Love and other words. I don't know if I've read that one before. I I read something. It might have been Love and Other... For, there are so many books with that title with the words switched around slightly. So I've read something yeah. similar like that. Is it? Is she like a linguistics major or something? No. Because I don't want to read a, that book. She's again. a doctor. Um, Love and Other Words was pretty cute. I do have some, I think, legitimate critiques and some questions for the author (laughs) but generally i think the relationships in it are really cute and i think the plot twist at the end even though you see it coming it did make me cry so okay will i be just emma would you yes would you buy this book um no i don't buy most books though i don't think i would buy it either i like don't really feel a need to own romance books, mostly because, like, even when they are good like this one, they are largely the same, and I do not feel the need to own, like, 15 to 20 of the same book. Yes. I think the only romance book I own is The Time Traveler's Wife, which is my favorite. Oh, I've never read The Time Traveler's Wife. Oh, you have to. I think I've read it, like, two or three times. It makes me cry every time. Which, you... If you go in any thrift store, it's there. I've seen it 30 times, probably. Okay, noted. Keep your eye out Writing it it. down. That is a really good, like, smart protagonist and love interest. Okay, that's good. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, sometimes you end up with a really stupid love interest, and you're like, oh my god, we're supposed to root for this? Gives me a pit in my stomach. (laughs) I'm gonna do my little spiel. I feel like we've talked about all there is to talk about. I don't know if we made this book comprehensible to people. (laughs) I don't know if we, like, ever ended up telling people exactly what happened in it or, like, how the cult tied in. (laughs) True. But that's okay. (laughs) We did our best. Oh, we're not English majors, so I don't know why you would expect (laughs) us to be good at summarizing things. I've never been good at summarizing things. Don't ever expect well, that. Well, there's of me. so many little tangents to go to go on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a linear thinker. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Follow English Majors Pod on Instagram at English Majors Pod. Um. Follow, send us an email at EnglishMajorsPod at gmail dot com if you want to. Tell us you love the pod. If you want to tell us you hate the pod, you could also do that exact same thing, but only if you love the pod on Apple Podcasts. You could write us a review or you could rate us on Spotify. Um, thank you for Emma to coming on week one of Old Flame Month. Next week, we're going to read The People We Meet on Vacation, which is also an Emily Henry book. Not really spreading out my authors this month, but that's okay. Um, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.